Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Mystic Show. Good evening, too. If if you're on the other side of the world, from where I am, which means you're standing upside down, <laughs> and I'm sitting upside down for you. So this is great. I'm glad you could join me on the Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net. And we're also on social media. You can find the links to everything on the website, themysticshow.net, and including our phone number. That's right. You can give us a call if we're talking about a subject that interests you or a subject that you have a question about, or maybe I give a viewpoint and you, you might sort of disagree with it. Well, you're more than welcome to give a call. Uh, the number's on the website. And I'm sort of assuming... <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sort of assuming that uh, because this is internet radio, that if you're listening, that means you're on the internet. And you can quickly go to themysticshow.net and get the phone number. And probably just click on it and call or... We're also, uh, well, we have a Skype account set up, but um, I don't have Skype running right now, so I have to figure that out. I'm deliberately mentioning it on the show to put pressure on me to figure it out and (laughs) get it set up properly. So, this is the show where we talk about the otherworldly. Do you ever think about that word, otherworldly? Right, well, which means there's this world, and there's then there's the other world, and obviously, well, typically, that means there's one world we can see with our eyes, and there's another world that we can feel with our heart, and this show is all about that other world, spirituality, mindfulness, self-help. Uh, the mind. Can anyone see their mind? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? Uh, for those of you who got that reference, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the Mystic Show. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about here on the Mystic Show, or if you know someone who might be a good guest on the show, go ahead and you can send us a message through the website on the Contact Us page. But we're going to get right into this. We are on chapter 10. Can you believe this? Chapter 10 of the book Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. He's probably, well, I kind of want to call him my favorite mystic, but there's probably a zillion that I don't know of, so it's hard to say (laughs) it's my favorite. That's like saying, you know, we're the best. Or, or like, my country's the best. Well, what does that mean? It's not the best. It might be good, but it's not the best. <laughs> what is the best? So, anyway, James Allen is just one of my favorites, right? How about that? And we're on chapter 10. Chapter 10 is called Silentness. Silentness. And this is, uh, well, the last chapter we read yesterday was Abiding Joy. That was a beautiful one. And for all you people out there walking or working out and listening to the Mystic Show, kudos to you, really. Thank you. So let's get right into this silentness. This is chapter 10 in the book Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. In the words of a wise man, there is great power, but in, but his silence is more powerful still. The greatest men teach us most effectively when they are purposely silent. The silent attitude of the great man noted, perhaps, 
by one or two of his disciples only, is recorded and preserved through the ages. While the obtrusive words of the merely clever talker, heard, perhaps, by thousands, and at once popularized, are neglected and forgotten in, at most, a few generations. The silence of Jesus when asked by Pilate, What is truth? is the impressive, the awful silence of profound wisdom. It is pregnant with humility and reproof, and perpetually rebukes that shallowness that, illustrating the truth, that fools step in where angels fear to tread, would, in terms of triteness, parcel out the universe, or think to utter the be-all and end-all of the mystery of things in some textual formula or theological platitude. When, plied with questions about Brahma, God, by the argumentative Brahmins, Buddha remained silent. He taught them better than they knew. And if by his silence he failed to satisfy the foolish, he thereby profoundly instructed the wise. Why all this ceaseless talk about God, with its accompaniment of intolerance? Let men practice some measure of kindliness and goodwill, and thereby acquaint themselves with the simple rudiments of wisdom. Why all these speculative arguments about the nature of God? Let us first understand somewhat of ourselves. There are no greater marks of folly and moral immaturity than irreverence, and presumption. No greater manifestations of wisdom and moral maturity than reverence and humility. Lao Tzu, in his own life, exemplified his teaching that the wise man teaches without words. Disciples were attracted to him by the power of whichever accompanies a wise reserve. Living in comparative obscurity and silence, not courting the ear of men, and never going out to teach, men sought him out and learned of him wisdom. The silent acts of the great ones are beacons to the wise, illuminating their pathway with no uncertain radiance. For he who would attain to virtue and wisdom must learn not only when to speak and what to say, but also when to remain silent and what not to say. The right control of the tongue is the beginning of wisdom. The right control of the mind is the consummation of wisdom. By curbing his tongue, a man gains possession of his mind, and to have complete possession of one's mind is to be a master of silence. The fool babbles, gossips, argues, and bandies words. He glories in the fact that he has had the last word and has silenced his opponent. He exults in his own folly. 
is ever on the defensive and wastes his energies in unprofitable channels. He is like a gardener who continues to dig and plant in unproductive soil. The wise man avoids idle words, gossip, vain argument, and self-defense. He is content to appear defeated, rejoices when he is defeated, knowing that, having found and removed another error in himself, he has thereby become wiser. Blessed is he who does not strive for the last word. Silence under provocation is the mark of a cultured and sympathetic soul. The thoughtless and unkind are stirred by every slight provocation and will lose their mental balance by even the appearance of a personal encroachment. The self-possession of Jesus is not a miracle. It is the flower of culture, the diadem of wisdom. When we read of Jesus that he answered never a word, and of Buddha that he remained silent, we get a glimpse of the vast power of silence, of the silent majesty of true greatness. The silent man is the powerful man. The victim of garrulity is devoid of influence. His spiritual energies are dissipated. Every mechanic knows that before a force can be utilized and definitely directed, it must be conserved and stored. And the wise man is a spiritual mechanic who conserves the energies of his mind, holds them in masterful abeyance, ready at any moment to direct them with effective purpose to the accomplishment of some necessary work. The true strength is in silentness. It is well said that the dog that barks does not bite. The grim and rarely broken silence of the bulldog is the necessary adjunct to that powerfully concentrated and effectual action for which the animal is known and feared. This, of course, is a lower form of silentness, but the principle is the same. The boaster fails. His mind is diverted from the main purpose, and his energies are frittered away upon self-glorification. His forces are divided between his task and the reward to himself, the greater portion going to feed the lust of reward. He is like an unskillful general who loses the battle through dividing his forces instead of concentrating them upon a point. Or he is like a careless engineer who leaves open the waste valve of his engine and allows the steam to run down. The modest, silent, earnest man succeeds. Freed from vanity and avoiding the dissipation of self-glorification, all his powers are concentrated upon the successful performance 
of his task. Even while the other man is talking about his powers, he is already about his work and is so much nearer than the other to its completion. It is a law everywhere and always that energy distributed is subject unto energy conserved. The noisy and boasting Charles will ever be thrown by the quiet and modest Orlando. And we'll just stop there. I'll read that last sentence again. The noisy and boasting Charles will ever be thrown by the quiet and modest Orlando. That's pretty cool. We'll take a short break. Welcome back to The Mystic Show. Thanks to uh, Anya for the... uh, This is from her album, uh, The Celts. And that was uh, quite a chapter. Well, it's actually half of the chapter on silentness by James Allen. That's pretty intense stuff, isn't it? Just to remind you, our website is themysticshow.net, and we have a phone number you can call if you want to call me and uh, comment, or if you have a question, you can come on the show and chat with me. I'll just give our number once here, but it's on the website, 973-498-8033. So if you have a question or a comment... I'd like to know what you think about silentness. So this, it seems like in the modern world that this idea of silentness is is a great topic to discuss when you're on the mystical path, right? Because the reason you're listening to this show is because you're on your own spiritual journey. You're learning you're unlearning, you're becoming and unbecoming, and you're facing problems and obstacles on the path, and you're dissipating your energy in places where maybe you shouldn't. And we're all, and I'm in the same boat, we're all in the same boat, and we're trying to figure out how to conserve our energy and be more effective, and and then of course be more loving and serving as well. But I like what he says about the the boaster, what does he say? Uh, the boaster fails. <laughs> right? Because he's he's all the time talking about what he's going to do, how great he is. Talking, talking, talking. And later in the paragraph he says, the modest, silent, earnest man succeeds because he's not boasting. He's not dissipating a lot of that energy. So it makes me, well, it makes me think about my own life and all the talking that happens. And I must say, when, I, when I've been away on retreats or, you know, taking a trip to, um, to visit with my spiritual guide and stay in the ashram in India, I do, I think, go, you know, maintain more silence 
over there. Because for me, it's more of a, um, it's almost like a retreat. So I'm not there to, to gossip and I'm not there to, you know, read the glossy magazines or whatever, or watch the news. I mean, I'm there to turn all that off, including my own mouth a lot of the time. So just by the nature of a retreat or a visit to uh, India, to the ashram, I am more silent. And I think that uh, contributes greatly to the effectiveness of the retreat, you know, bringing down the, the activity of the mind to a normal level and, you know, bringing back down all the faculties and, and activities of the mind and body to a normal level. Cause clearly in everyday life, we have to think about 5 million things and we have deadlines and we have phones ringing and people, you know, wanting our time and attention. And that's okay, but, you know, we obviously have to balance that at some point. Or else if you're not balanced, what happens when you're not balanced? You fall. (laughs) And who wants to fall? Especially in the spiritual connotation of that word. None of us. So, okay, well, let's get to our next topic here. Again, if you want to call me, go ahead. Um, our ne- the next topic we're going to talk about, I've labeled it, or I've titled it as Clean Slate. Clean Slate. So, here's the idea that I think when we're children... And and we're also going to talk in this segment about the the mind and the conscious mind and the subconscious mind and how they influence each other and how habits are formed. Because the more we know about the working of our mind, the more we can use it, the better we can use it as a tool, right? Because it's been clearly stated that the mind is just a tool. And this is in the ancient Vedic literature, I believe, where it says the mind can be your greatest friend and and take you up to divinity, or it can be your greatest enemy and bring you down, all the way down. So the mind itself is just a tool that we can use. We can use it well, we can use it poorly. So, obviously, you, being on the mystic path, you want to use your mind well, properly, and you want to strengthen your mind, right? And you want to use your mind to overcome any habits or behaviors that you want to change. So, a lot of our behaviors and habits, or you could even call it conditioning, comes from our early life, from our childhood. You know, when we're we're young, especially from birth until age maybe seven or eight, uh, we're, we're very, very impressionable. I mean, anything that you're taught or anything that's said or anything you see, it all just goes straight into your subconscious mind. There's no filter. And one of the best examples of this is language. If a child grows up in a house where the people there speak five different languages fluently, the child will learn five different languages without one ounce of effort. Well, maybe a little tiny bit of effort, but, but just the fact that the languages are being spoken and used and the adults interact with the child with those languages, the child will just learn the language. It's not, it doesn't decide that it wants to learn the language. It just does. Because the conscious 
um, the conscious faculties of the mind are not really developed yet. So let's just take a quick step back and talk about the conscious and the subconscious. So you know, right now you're listening to my voice, and you know you're listening to my voice, right? You're conscious of that. And you can hold up your hand, and you can look at your hand, and you're, you're conscious that you're seeing your hand, that it's your hand. So our conscious mind is like our waking mind. It's, it's the everyday mind that we use to navigate our way through the physical world. The subconscious mind is exactly what it says, subconscious. It's below, in a sense, or above, but sub means below. So it's in the background almost. So it's there, but you don't really think about it. It's not, you're not conscious of it. Like your breathing. How often are you conscious of your breathing? Almost never. Your body breathes. You just keep breathing. Are you conscious that when you get a cut on your skin, are you focusing on that cut and healing it? Or does it just heal by itself? Of course, it just heals by itself. So this is our subconscious being. Another example, when you go to, if you go to bed at night and you, there's a problem on your mind or you need a solution to a problem, a lot of times when you wake up, you just, you know the answer. So what happened? Well, your subconscious mind all night was figuring it out. So I, I usually um, give a whole seminar on the conscious mind, the, uh, the subconscious mind. So the conscious mind is like your five senses, right? So what happens when you're a child or when, what happens to a child is that there's no real filter and your conscious mind is not developed. You're not, you're not conscious of things. You just, you accept everything. You're not, you don't really reject anything. So that's how habits just go directly into your subconscious and they become habits. I mean, if everyone in your family says, oh, I hate broccoli, I don't eat broccoli, broccoli's really bad, you're going to grow up saying, I hate broccoli, I don't like broccoli. Or if uh, every Sunday morning you go to church because your family goes to church, you just get in the habit of going to church. Oh, we go to church. That's what we do. So when you're a kid, you just kind of go with the program and you go with the flow and, and, what, and you basically adopt all these habits and cu- this culture. You, d- you don't really have a choice because you don't know any better. And this also includes... Uh, behaviors like fighting and yelling. I mean, if your family argues all the time, what? As a child, you grow up you f- you fighting. That's what you do. You have to yell and scream to get what you want. So our behaviors are impacted greatly as well when we're a child growing up. Or on the other go the other direction. What if your family was very quiet and peaceful and meditated and practiced silentness and was loving? Right? How how is the child going to grow up? I mean, it's going to grow up thinking that okay, this is the way we live. We're quiet, we help others. So our our childhood, our upbringing is very very important and you know, I was going to say that it it's a shame when parents don't know how to... Well, it's a shame when parents don't appreciate the significance of their impact on their kids. But then again, we're all on our own journey, right? Some parents have to go through that. They have to do a bad job raising their kids, and then they have to deal with the consequences of that. That's part of their learning. Well, at least it's definitely their opportunity to learn. You can't you can't deny that there's always that opportunity to learn, right? So, when we grow up, when we become adults, a lot of this conditioning from childhood, it just stays with us 
again, it's subconscious. We, we don't think about it. And uh, it reminds me of the famous uh, psychological experiment with uh, this Dr. Pavlov who, who had these dogs. And he would ring the bell and he'd give the dog some meat. And a little later, he'd ring the bell, he'd give the dog some meat. And then next day, he'd ring the bell, give the dog some meat. And he kept doing this, ring the bell, give the dog some meat. And pretty soon, when he rang the bell, before he gave them the meat, the dogs would already start salivating and, and they would be getting ready for this, to get the meat, to get the food. So basically, that's conditioning. The dogs learned that when you hear the bell, that means you're going to get food. And un, or subconsciously or unconsciously, when they heard the bell, they just started salivating and coming for the food. So that's what happens in our lives. We think we're in control of our lives, right? You think you can be confronted with any situation and you can act rationally and logically and think about it and do the right thing, right? You think you can do that. But that's probably very rare because what really happens is you already have in your subconscious the 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 map the the plan of how you're going to respond to certain things and when things happen you respond the way you always respond even if you think you're conscious and logical and you can make a decision it's very automatic it's just like the dogs salivating if you think about your life and the different ways you, it, it takes a good deal of introspection to realize these things. Um, and in a way, it's not always necessary to do that. And that's a whole nother conversation. <clears throat> but what I'm, you'll see where, where we're going here because we're going toward the clean slate. All right. So when we're adults, we have all this conditioning from our childhood and to make any progress, we have to really ditch a lot of that conditioning. We have to just get rid of it, be cleaned of it. Because if we keep acting the same way and we keep having the same conditioning, the same paradigm, the same habits, then how are we ever going to become the mystic that we want to become or saintly? So it's not possible. We have to change. And the whole point of me telling all this to you is that we have to basically wipe away all that junk from the past. Of course, it's not all junk because some of it actually serves us. I mean, if you learn to swim when you were a child, you you don't have to forget how to swim, (laughs) I mean, you can remember that. That's okay, right? But it's all these, you know, negative behaviors and likes and dislikes and and uh, and prejudices. All that stuff that we carry from our upbringing, from our family, from our culture, it all has to go. It does not serve us at all. It hurts us a lot. So we have to... We have to have a clean slate. You know, we have to wipe away this stuff. I mean, think of a, think of a piece of slate with a bunch of chalk on it. It's, let's say there's a piece of slate or let's say a chalkboard in a school, right? Everyone knows of a chalkboard in a school. Let's pretend that there's words and numbers and the whole chalkboard is full of chalk words and, and pictures and numbers and everything. It's full. Okay. Now, a new class comes into that classroom, and the teacher wants to teach the class. But there's no room to write on the board. It's full. So how can the teacher teach the class anything new? It's not possible. So what does the teacher have to do? teacher has to erase the board. Make a clean slate. You know? Make a fresh start. How many of you would really like to make a fresh start 
with your life. So the past is the past, and we have to leave it there, and we have to be free from it. Truly free from your past. Because on the spiritual path, we have to be free and light. We have to be free from all these traumatizing aspects from our earlier life and our childhood. And in this pursuit, well, I should just mention that part of the uh, the Sahaj Marg meditation that I practice, there's something called cleaning. And we actually clean away these impressions. We don't clean it away from our childhood. We clean it away from each day. But... But the spiritual guide cleans it away from our childhood. So we actually have help from someone to clean all this junk away, to, to give us a clean slate, in a sense. But nevertheless, and anyway, the divine help will always be indispensable. You know, if you... If you call out to God or the universe, and if you really want to be clean of all these past habits and behaviors and culture, all this, all this weight that's holding you down, holding you back, if you call out in your heart for help, you, you will get it. And if, if we entrust our lives to, to God's care then we'll be taken care of, right? So it is possible to become a new and spiritual being. It is possible to make a fresh start. And literally, probably the most important thing on our, on our spiritual journey is to try to begin with a clean slate. We have to abandon all this past stuff that we have accumulated. It's like we're wearing a backpack. Imagine you've been wearing a backpack your whole life and all the experiences, all the thoughts, everything you've done in your life, you just keep putting little pieces of it in your backpack. And now on your back, there's a backpack that's like 5 million pounds and you can't even walk. You're just sitting there. <laughs> but you're still putting stuff in the backpack. <laughs> so there's no way we can be free and light. There's no way we can become divinized while we're wearing this five million pound backpack. So we have to put it down. We have to release it. And we have to move into the future with an attitude First of all, a positive attitude, a confident attitude that we can do it and it will work and it's, it, it is good. But also the attitude that we can become saintly. We can become divinized human beings. I think I'm part of the extreme because I really believe that. <laughs> and I'm really trying to move toward that. Or I should say I'm interested in moving toward that. Well, that could be a whole nother conversation. It, you know, how can you move towards a goal when you don't really know what it is? Well, that's why you have a spiritual guide who clears it all up for you and helps you, helps you do what you're supposed to do, what's really, really beneficial, and benefit from it. So I'm very grateful that I was able to find that in my life. It's made all the difference. So there you go. Start with a clean slate. Drop all your baggage. And of course, one way to do that is with a pause your life retreat. You know, pause your life has meetups and retreats. And it's all about that. Stopping, putting down your five million pound backpack putting down all the conditioning from when you were a kid, all, this, all the junk you inherited from your parents and your grandparents and, and society. Just put all that down and be 
just be a human being for a weekend. So I think the next Pause Your Life retreat is going to be in the spring, actually. So there's plenty of time. I don't think the dates have been announced yet. But um, but the website is pauseyourlife.org. Pauseyourlife.org. And you can there's re- some really cool blog posts there. And also, you can sign up for the daily email, which is your daily pause. And you get an inspirational quote every morning. You can have a mini pause every morning. So so that's cool. I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen the website yet? Pauseyourlife.org? The webmaster is brilliant. The, the guy who designed the site, wow, unbelievable. Okay, it was me. But anyway, it it's a good site. It has a lot of cool stuff and 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 what a concept, right? Putting down all the all the baggage that we're carrying. So let's take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Mystic Show. Thanks to uh, Dawn of Midi for this little musical interlude. It's I played. I think I played a little bit from them last week. Um, it sounds like electronic music, but it's actually human beings playing real instruments. They just make it sound kind of you know hypnotic, which is pretty cool. I I listened to this whole their whole album. I think it's 45 minutes straight. Um, it just keeps changing and morphing and evolving and I like it, but you know, at times it becomes a little dissonant. You know, they go for that. It's like a tension kind of a feel. And I don't know. I mean, when it's hypnotic and trance, like, um, sometimes the dissonance, I I mean, I don't know. I don't like it, but but as I was telling my wife, um, dissonance is part of music because you have to have the dissonance to then resolve to to resolve it. It's almost like in a movie, you need there to be some argument or some fight or you need there to be something, something happen, something bad happen to then be able to resolve it by the end of the movie and everybody's happy and 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 everyone lives happily ever after it's almost the same in music you have to have a little tension a little little twist a little something and then by the and then at some point resolve it so the music lives happily ever after um but still when it comes to like meditative music or trance like music um sometimes the dissonance Sometimes you just you're not in the mood for that, I guess. So our website is www.themysticshow.net themysticshow.net and all of our past episodes are up there, believe it or not. We are uh podcasting and archiving every single episode and they're all titled with uh the topics of conversation that we've talked about on the show. So you can easily go to the website and um, browse the shows and see which topics you want to hear about. And and you can comment on each post, on each show, if you have a question or a comment. And you can also uh, give us a call here live on the live show. So we do the show every morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. And then we replay it a couple times at night. You could see that on the website, the times for the replay. I think it's 8 p.m. Eastern and 1 a.m. Eastern. So, 
I wanted to talk about two different things, and I'm a little confused on which one I should talk about. So, one of them is the seven laws of the universe. There's seven laws that kind of, well, they kind of help us understand the universe, and they kind of govern the universe as well, I guess. So I guess I guess I just decided what which one we're going to talk about. So the natural laws of the universe and there's seven of them. And um I learned these from Bob Proctor who in the past I've I've worked with a little bit. Um he actually wrote the foreword to my book as well. My book is called Leap Beyond Your Limits. And he wrote the forward, and it was published about, I don't know, three and a half years ago. And through working with him, I found these uh, natural laws of the universe. And they're really good. They're kind of, again, it just helps us understand the universe. So let's get right to it. There's seven of them. And obviously, because, you know, we're not going to go into each one in really, really much depth, but we'll basically talk about each one a little bit. So the first one is called the law of perpetual transmutation. (laughs) There you go. That's a mouthful. The law of perpetual transmutation. And it basically means that energy moves into physical form. So there's energy in the universe and somehow that energy gets turned into physical form meaning like plants and trees and everything right like an acorn falls on the ground and you know 10 years later there's a tree there you know how'd that happen well because the energy that was there moved into physical form same thing happens with our thoughts if you want to sit down if you want to draw a picture of a christmas tree you could take a piece of paper and a pen and sit down and draw a Christmas tree. Well, there you go. You just created a picture of a Christmas tree. So where did that picture come from? Well, it came from your mind. And your mind had the energy, the vibration of a Christmas tree. I mean, that's a very rudimentary way to think about it. But in your mind was that energy of the Christmas tree, and it was created. So the energy moved from energy form into physical form. And the same thing is true with our lives. The same thing is true with, you know, the car you drive, your income, your family, your children. I mean, every everything. Your clothes, whatever clothes you wear. I mean, everything. It begins as a thought and then it's created somehow. And the point with this one is that the image you hold in your mind most often materializes in the results in your life. So whatever we think about, we create. And really what, what, uh, spirituality says is whatever you think about, you become. So that's pretty deep. I mean, that's why a spiritual guide is so helpful because if you think about him, you become like him. Or if you have very subtle thoughts, very abstract thoughts, you become subtle like the divine. All right, the second law. The second law is the law of relativity, right? And this is, um, well, kind of like Einstein's law of relativity, but a little different. Uh, The law of relativity. Okay, nothing is good or bad. Nothing is big or small until you relate it to something else. right? So think about it. If you have a a mountain that's 10,000 feet high, oh, that's a big mountain, right? And then you have a mountain that's 5,000 feet high and you say, oh yeah, that's a smaller mountain. That's a small mountain. And the 10,000 feet mountain, that's a big mountain. But then you turn around, there's a 20,000 foot mountain and you say, wow, that's a big mountain. So When we compare things to each other, that's when we label them. 
And the label is by default just a label. Meaning whatever label you put on something, it's not really what that thing is. It's just a label. It's not really real. It's it's like my name, Chris Curran. Is that is that me? Is Chris Curran me? No. Chris Curran is just a name. I'm a human being. And maybe more, right? <laughs> Who knows? So the name is just a name, right? And you know, Shakespeare's famous quote. What was it? A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. I think. I probably misquoted that. But it was close. That you get the meaning. So the law of relativity, right? Nothing is good or bad. That's another Shakespeare quote. Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So our thinking is what, how we judge things and label things. And, and so that's not really fully real. So if you practice relating your situation to something much worse, then your situation will always look good. Right? If you compare yourself to someone who's doesn't have a lot of money, is having a rough time, you're you'll you're doing much better than that probably, so you can feel good about that. And again, this is just mental trickery. This isn't anything real, but it's just again, learning about yourself, learning about your mind. If you if you always compare yourself to the rock stars and the the glamour magazine girls and and everything, you're always going to feel bad. And that's not good. So, this is one way to to reverse that. Okay, third law. All right, we're let's get through all these, okay? The law of vibration and attraction. The law of vibration and attraction. Everything vibrates. Nothing rests. And basically, conscious awareness of your vibration is called feeling. When you feel something, you're, what you're feeling is a vibration. And basically, your thoughts control your vibration. So if you're thinking good thoughts, good, subtle, divine thoughts your vibration will be good and subtle and divine. If you're thinking, you know, very base thoughts or whatever, then that's going to be your vibration. And basically, when you create a vibration, you sort of attract and gravitate towards other things and other people of of a similar vibration. So that's the whole law of attraction. That when you when you ha- create a certain vibration in yourself, you inevitably are drawn to things of similar vibration, and other things are drawn to you. It's it's just some weird way that the universe works, but it's all based on vibration. Okay, so the fourth one is the law of polarity. The law of polarity: everything has an opposite. Right? Hot and cold, up and down, good and bad, old and young. I mean, right? Everything has an opposite. I mean, think about a think about a quarter. Take a quarter out of your pocket. Does anyone carry quarters in their pocket anymore? <laughs> uh, anyway, if you look at a quarter, there's a heads and there's a tails, right? There's two sides to every coin. So you can't have a coin with only one side. It's not possible. And one of the real world um, manifestations of this is in people. Let's say there's someone you think is a really good person. Well, if there's something good about them, then there's got to be something bad about them. Or in the other way around, if you someone that's a bad you think is a bad person, there's got to be something good about them, because there has to be both. The law of polarity says everything has an opposite. All right, the next one is the law of rhythm. 
the law of rhythm, the tide goes in, the, t- the tide comes in, the tide goes out, you know, night follows day, then it back to night, then back to day, you know, sometimes you have good times, you have some bad times. So things kind of oscillate between, there's a rhythm to life, right? And sometimes, again, you might be going through some good times, sometimes you might be going through some bad times, but if you think about the fact that whatever you're going through, it's going to keep, the the rhythm is going to keep going. So if you're having, going through some bad times, it'll definitely come back to good times again. That's just the rhythm of life, right? It has, it just keeps going back and forth and and it also teaches us not to be really, um, not to be really uh, attached to the current situation, because it's going to change, right? It's going to change into its opposite. Okay, so the next one here, number six, the law of cause and effect. This one is pretty self-explanatory, right? The law of cause and effect. Whatever you send into the universe comes back. You know, action and reaction are equal and opposite. So if you say good things to everyone, if you treat everyone with total respect, it will all come back. So we don't have to ever worry about what we're going to get. We just have to concentrate on what we can give. And number seven is called the law of gender. And it's not, you know, like like a ladies' bathroom and a men's bathroom. It's not, <laughs> it has nothing to do with ladies and men. It has to do with the fact that every seed has a gestation or incubation period, right? Every seed takes time to grow. And ideas and thinking are spiritual seeds. And... So that's why when you focus on maybe something you want to create in your life or a change you want to make, it takes time because the thoughts, the ideas inside your head are like seeds. So when you first have them, they're like little baby, baby seeds. And if you keep thinking at thinking about them, nurturing them and helping them grow, they'll grow into, you know, a, a bigger basically grow into like a little plant, then a little bigger plant, then a flower, then maybe a tree, you know. So it takes time for things to manifest. And that's, again, just understanding that can really help us on our journey because a lot of times we feel like we want to make changes, we want to do things, we want to become something, and it just feels like it's not happening. It's all happening super slow. Well, if we understand the law of gender, we can understand that things take time. And it is happening. It really is happening. So we we have to believe that it's happening and keep going with our good conduct, our good intentions, and our openness and willingness, of course. So... I'm glad you could listen today, and as you move into your day, bring that a good vibration with you. Expect to see good things. Hopefully your slate is cleaner, and hopefully you can think about some of these good ideas we discussed. So, thanks for listening to The Mystic Show. As you move through your day... As always, keep shining.